I would like to be introduced by your first impression of me. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> I guess my first impression of your personality, um, that you are a very um, open person, like open on the like big five, the ocean scale. Yeah, I think you have a lot of openness, it seems like. Um, but I think that you're very friendly and you're able to like connect with people. So I'm getting very good vibes from you. Yeah, no, you as well, man. It's usual. Tell me, tell me, yeah. tell me what's the life. I've been feeling starstruck, seeing human love thrive in this really long dust. Guess it's really our love, seven billion of us, and I read the headlines. Tell me, tell me, tell me what's the life. It's part luck, surveillance, constructor conscience, hot sauce, blood diamonds. Everybody pitching in for red with silence. Hi. I'm Michael. And I'm Obasi. So, my friend Michael and I have come into adulthood watching our world become more and more polarized. From political polarization, to income inequality, to how we even define what is real. It feels like schism and conflict are everywhere. Like everything is coming apart. It feels like we need some type of meta-solution. Regardless of the issue, like, how do we come back together? What does it look like to make peace? And at the same time, the world hasn't literally fallen apart yet, so people must be making peace on some level. So that's where we want to start. We want to learn who's making peace and how, and how we can apply that to the rest of our world. So join us as we try to find everyday peacemakers and learn what peacemaking means to them. Each episode, we'll learn one principle of peacemaking from our guest. These are featured as a growing tribute to our guests and their wisdom at principlesofpeacemaking.org. Today, we hear from Adam, who tells us a few stories about communication and miscommunication, understanding and misunderstanding. In each story, we grapple with what is said, done, and meant, and the three of us often come to different conclusions. This episode's principle of peacemaking is to pay attention to our values, our actions, and each other. I guess my first story that I thought of is I've been watching a lot of documentaries about what people call learning disorders, which I would call learning difference. And I watched one on ADHD called The Disruptors, which I recommended to Michael and I recommend it to you too, Obasi, and to anyone really. Because like, when we look at ADHD like a disorder and a deficit, it is crushing to people, you know? And it was certainly crushing to me as a child. And it taught me to say, well, I was taught that I should sit in the hallway and be away from everybody, that I should go and be alone by myself because I'm a nuisance, I'm a disruptance. Uh, there, I remember like on my third grade classroom whiteboard was a tally of how many times I was allowed to ask the question, why? Because it annoyed uh, my teacher. And my teacher was a great woman, let me just say that. Like, great person, wonderful soul. But it annoyed her so much because she did not understand me. And also, I did not understand myself because I didn't have the tools. I was eight years old, you know? So I think a lot of my peacemaking is with myself, like the way that I talk to myself. I will write things on my mirror. What I have written right now on my mirror is listen to you more than to them. Like, you know, do, do what your values are. Do what your principles are. I've written, like, you are enough. Like, that's stuff I have to write to myself, you know? And before, I don't think that I would even... I don't think I'd even recognize that, and I certainly wouldn't say that on a live talk or something like that. So it's the peacemaking of saying, I allow you enough grace 
to have ADHD and to be hyperactive because again I'm quoting someone else I'm quoting a doctor called Ned Hallowell but he says what is creativity except impulsivity gone right and that's I think why I do creative things and like Obasi before we started this you were saying I think you're very open-minded or very open to experiences yes because I have ADHD you know like I've had to compensate in different ways for that lack of attention towards things because I'm like hey what's that what's that that's what curiosity is, you know? So all that stuff that I used to think of as such a terrible thing about myself, I've had to, like, make peace with the fact that a lot of those things are the reason that I'm, like, able to do some stuff that I'm proud of today. I write, like, letters to my previous self, like, you know what? It's okay, previous self. You're worthy of, of, of love, of, of love of yourself, especially. And that definitely helps with uh, anger at, you know, wanting things to change faster or wanting things to be more fair or wanting things to be reversed and redone, which will never happen. And accepting those things, I think, is mutual with anger. And it's necessary to have anger to find that acceptance. Um, And I'm still an angry person. But at the same time, I direct that anger towards a purpose. And I think that creates my priorities which creates my values so yeah that's my peacemaking um it's with myself so i was noting and i think i see this all the time in my work and in my friends the just social exclusion that happens for any kind of neurodivergence and the amount of pain and isolation and shame that that creates. And a lot of the people that I encounter who have had that experience wouldn't be able to say that to themselves, wouldn't accept saying that to themselves, wouldn't have any reason to believe that saying that would help or was true or anything like that. So so I'm wondering what allowed you to get to a point where you could say that to yourself. I suppose uh, when I say it to myself, I don't believe it every day, you know, I don't even believe it most days, you know, but I, I guess I throw it out there just as another alternative, you know, like in counseling, we often ask, like, would you say that to yourself, right? Which that question has annoyed, you know, the daylights out of me in my 13 years of therapy. But at the same time, uh, it is a question worth asking. But again, there's something different between feeling in your head and feeling in your heart. You know what I mean? There's a person saying what comes from the heart sits on the heart. So I think that like putting your heart into something to say like, I really do love you to the point of almost tears is the reason that maybe I'm allowed to believe myself a tiny bit. It's the emotionality of it, but it has nothing to do with logic or reason. And you can never logicize, yeah, I'm worthy because A leads to B leads to C, at least not in my mind. Uh, I don't see it a lot in my makeup. You know, but I think the emotionality lets me crack through things. The other thing that helps me crack through things is purpose, like feeling like I'm doing something that's worthwhile. So, yeah, I think a lot of times we're taught in an education system where to get the A is the ultimate goal. You get it and then it's gone. And then your goodness and your intellect is gone, too. And I feel like at some points I have a tendency to like want to do things because I want to do them. And I think that allows me to feel a sense of, I can have peace with myself.
another story that came up, I'm not sure why, but I used to work on a fishing boat as a deckhand uh, in San Diego. And, uh, yeah, I, I remember that one time we were out at sea, and uh, we were pulling in the nets, uh, and the hydraulics got messed up because the deckhand didn't do it right. And my captain was so upset from not catching any fish at sea that he took his cigarette and he burned it on the guy's neck. And the guy had turned around and punched my captain in the face, which he promptly returned by throwing him off of the boat. Uh, so I'm at this point where I am like 18 years old, watching this man who can't swim, who works on a fishing boat, in the water. Uh, and I have to kind of get down in the dinghy, row out, and pull him back on, and everything's fine. So it's not like it's a dangerous situation. But now I'm on a boat with two people that don't want to talk with each other for, like, days. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of my life has been being the peacemaker for people sometimes. So trying to get them to talk, nothing really works. Silence for, like, two days. I have a terrible time with silence. I don't like silence, uh, as you can tell. So... Uh, eventually, though, I realized it was totally out of my control. My captain slammed down a Stella Artois right in front of the deckhand, and he was just like, man, it happens. You know, something to that effect. Maybe a little bit more sailor talk than that. And uh, the guy was like, man, it happens. And then they were fine, you know? And I was like, I kept saying, like, that's not real peace because you guys didn't talk about it and you didn't say, like, what you did wrong and make it kind of an allocution and, a, you know, like, an amends. But maybe that was enough for them, you know? So I guess uh, there's a diversity in peacemaking that I think that sometimes, sometimes peacemaking can be just so simple as I slam down a beer in front of you and that's enough for you. I, I think some people are like that and I don't think it's any better or worse. And honestly, it was just a hilarious story to me at the time, but... I think that should be honored as well in peacemaking. So I just wanted to say that. So you're saying that that's not better or worse than people who kind of need to work it out a little bit more. I suppose I don't understand the mindset of not needing to work it out more. Like that would never work for me. You know, I ask why too much. You know, my my third grade teacher would be chalking me up. But at the same time, like I'm not in charge of their feelings, I guess. Uh, I, do I think it's probably more emotionally healthy? Yes. But... Emotional health is like a timing thing, I think. You know, like sometimes you have to be as emotionally healthy as you can be. You know, so I think that that varies uh, for for people, you know. And like, you know, how much can you handle? Do you really want to go through a full apology and like what is the root of the issue? Or do you just want to move on and say that's good enough? Like does something have to be holistically peaceful to be peace? No. Like that's why I say I've made peace with myself. But does that mean I'm at peace with myself all day? definitely not so like uh i see you playing devil's advocate michael because part of me doesn't believe myself absolutely but i think there's a part of me that's like i need to learn to believe myself and that's the same way as how i write things down on the mirror i need to learn to believe that because i think it's true but i don't understand you know what i mean what do you think well i mean my my devil's advocacy uh was more like sometimes i feel like that's and yeah. to be fair, I'm not like that at all either. Uh, <laughs> I would need to understand it to its depths. Uh, but sometimes I feel like the ability to kind of just be like, it's as simple as that, uh, is really, really positive. <laughs> I, I feel like there, it's, 
I don't know. I I can't speak for them because I don't know where they were, but I do wonder whether you think part of that was because they had such reason to get along. Like if they have like this small world that they are literally functioning together, do they have to make peace in a kind of functional way? Very true. That's a great point, I think. Because sometimes I wonder, like, how do we make peace? Again, I'm getting very systemic very quickly, but how do we make peace as a nation? Well, we're all struggling together. We're all on the same boat. I'm sorry I did it. But, like, we're in this boat and we're trapped. Like, we're right, we're at sea. And eventually someone's got to talk to each other or throw down a beer or just say, like, I'm not talking to you. But, like, what are we doing? If it's just to say, like, I respect your opinion, but we have the same values, I'm good enough with that, you know? So I guess I feel like a very sensitive person. So when I see anger around me, it deeply saddens me. And when I see sadness around me, it makes me deeply angry. That it's not, like, hopeless that I can't change it, but I guess I look at it as, like, how do I use the tools that I have to do something good? Right. I would argue that on that national boat we're on, or global boat we're on, or whatever... I feel like we don't know that we're on the boat yet in a lot of cases. Like, there is no reason to make up. I don't need to make up with you to move on with my life. Like, the boat is bigger. (laughs) I don't need to interact with you. Just unfriend me. That's fine. Yeah. So in a way, we need to shrink the galley or something like that to create some kind of, like, uh, conversation. Yeah, I don't know. Part of me agrees, but part of me wonders, worries that it's not that simple, that, like, proximity wouldn't necessarily create peace. Like, like at first, these two sailor men were proximal to each other, and one threw the other off of the boat, and then you you had to go and get him. And so, I don't know, I, like, I think, on the one hand, I think that it helps to recognize that we are, like, in this together, but I do think that, like, you know, when we get close to each other, we do sometimes devour each other. The thing that I got from the story, what you've been talking about is very, like, true as well. The thing I got from the story that that was interesting was not that they were able to reconcile because of physical proximity, although I think that was a large part of it, but that there was something that happened between the two of them that, like, distinctly did not happen between, like, them and you, you were outside of this, especially you being like an 18 year old who, you know, had not lived in this world that they had lived in. Like, I think when you were talking about, you know, your way of resolving issues, which is like, you talk about these things and you come to like, um, you express why you were hurt and like, you express like what you needed from the person at that time and and whatever. Um, And then talking about your teacher who like, just didn't understand you and why you're always asking why. I think in this very similar way, there was something the two sailors on the boat that they they deeply understood about each other like there was a communication that happened like when he put down the Stella Artois he was saying something to the effect of like I understand how I hurt you this is how I'm going to like respond to that and then when he said like hey it happens um there was like a whole communication you know in those those words which I don't know like I'm, I'm just thinking that like maybe the thing is that they that we have to understand each other and we have to take the time to understand each other um, and it's interesting to me to think that maybe the two of them just understood each other in a way that you didn't and so you you were like in this outside party and you were like peace could not have been made here but in reality there was a lot that went on because of the like mutual like understanding which i think comes from the proximity and it comes from them working together for a really long time and stuff so i think i think the proximity matters i just like also just found it really interesting to think about 
the the just the different communication styles like you're saying the diversity in peacemaking that like you don't have to understand the way that they communicate with each other to like get to peace and, and it could still be you know valuable just interesting to me yeah the idea of proximity um i like that you broaden it from a literal sense i don't mean it in a totally literal sense and i don't think we all do but like i mean it in a sense of is there some value that we can connect on like underneath everything that gives us a springboard just to start a conversation that allows for like mutual respect and again like i don't think that everyone needs to talk to each other but at the same time i think more dialogue could happen and it, i guess it saddens me and, and that proximity i'd like to see happen and i think that proximity comes from like disregarding the opinions that people have sometimes but just seeing their values like do you love human beings do you have kindness like the other day, I was like literally sitting at a table in the middle of a Republican and a Democrat, and they were saying the same thing to each other, you know, and the same value with a different opinion. And I always feel like I'm sitting in the middle of the table, you know what I'm saying? And that doesn't help people to be at peace, but it's not about me. It's the fact that there are is so much division, you know what I'm saying? Like that proximity has been made into two proximal zones, it seems, more and more. I just started having social media about four months ago, and I see how that can happen. Like, you follow something, and it gets extreme. I mean, this is old news to people, but it's it, as a 29-year-old man, it feels very strange to see social media for the first time. And people often think I'm very strange. Like, why are you replying with this long block of text? Like, no one is reading this. And I'm like, well, you asked me a question, though. Like, I have to answer you, right? Uh, I don't know. Given the conversation that we've had so far, what would you say is one principle of peacemaking that we can take from this this episode? Is it okay if I ask you guys first? Because I feel like I've talked so much. Like I feel like I've monopolized so much time that like to answer that question would be talking a lot about like my own stories. That's just so on brand. <laughs> I. I, I would even say that that question is kind of emblematic of the theme of peace that I see that's been, like, stringing throughout, which is with the teacher, with the ADHD, there was, you know, you said that she was a great teacher and that she cared about you. And also she was doing something that she didn't think was harmful, but it was. Because there was this kind of meta communication that you were other and like that communicated something. And then we have the boat story where like they were speaking a different language than you were. You didn't see peace being made. <laughs> you were like, how could that happen? But they were potentially speaking another language where they were saying a lot that was not said. And they both understood that. Same with the, the Republican and Democrats. You were saying, you know, you were hearing them on a different level than they might be hearing each other. I mean, maybe they were super open-minded Republicans and Democrats, but you were ready to hear them on a level that was not solely the content that they were saying. And I would say throughout, you know, throughout this, like, you know, how do you want us to introduce you? What's your first impression of me? Like, and then, you know, here's what I'm thinking. Also, Obasi, I really appreciate that thing that you're doing and you know throughout you've been like you have attended to the process of what we're talking about beyond the content of what we're talking about and i feel like that is also a theme in each of your stories so i would posit that one of the 
principles of peacemaking would be attending to the process above and beyond the content. That's that's really well said. I think that links the two, the three stories is like this process of uh, taking things apart, being an outsider. I studied anthropology for some time, and what you said really reminded me of this idea of like estrangement can create intimacy, and intimacy can create estrangement in some ways. I think that uh, a lot of psychologists, anthropologists, sociologists, anybody in those fields often feel like an outsider, and you're observing humans like, wow, what a species. That's interesting that you guys do that. Uh, and I think that that estrangement provides an intimacy. Like, it provides a love of humans, like a kairos in me. And I think that that allows me to kind of think about, okay, well, you didn't end up where I am, but at least, like, you got there in a beautiful way. I'm hard-pressed to find a person that I'm like, you're not a beautiful person. Like, re- I really do mean that. And it, and if I wasn't so honest, I wouldn't say it because it would sound like baloney, dude. But, like, really, people are beautiful, dude. The struggle of being a human being, you got to wake up in the morning, get your feet out of bed when it's cold, fix your hygiene if you want, and then you got to go do all these things. You got to feed yourself. You got to get all these things done. You got to make sure that you're loving other people so that you can love yourself. You got to do all these things. You know, and that's not easy. And you don't have to do that, you know, but like that's a that's a tall order that I feel like can be asked of someone. And if you're not meeting that order, maybe that's peace to be like not yet. Not yet. That's cool. That's the process, dude. I'm going to make it. Like I will make it there. Um because my values are right. Like I think human beings values astound me in a good way most of the time 99.9 percent of the time it kills germs on contact so michael like your comment struck me in the heart for sure uh i do like to look at the process of what people do more than what they say i like that a lot i like the way that you see the world i think that i also like have not met a person that i don't think is a beautiful human and i also think that's an absurd thing to say but I also, like, I was just talking to a friend about this yesterday, that it is it is very Dostoyevskian of me, but I, I believe that that is almost always the right thing to do, to express an emotion that is eating away at your insides, um, and that that emotion is usually love um, in some way. And I think that um, that's being, you know, human in the ways that you've just described. And, like, that's what is beautiful about being human is, is the thing that, like, propels us. Um, and that's the thing that, like, you know, bubbles over when you express your passion, which I think is is really cool. The thing that I, that, like, stuck with me, the thing that you said was the, like, diversity of, like, peacemaking, which is, this is all very, very much connected to all the things that you both said. But what I think came out to me as, like, the thing that feels, it feels almost, like, too obvious, too simple to be the principle of peacemaking, but that, like, peacemaking... Um, requires that we understand each other um, or that we seek to understand each other because that's what I'm actually like really getting out of this conversation is that like you know from the very beginning from your first conversation about yourself making peace with yourself it was this kind of struggle to understand yourself um, and then once you were able to understand yourself you were able to start talking to yourself um, and and to talk to yourself in ways that were like made peace and that your your teacher on the other hand was a great person, but like she couldn't make peace with you and she couldn't help you to make peace with yourself even just because she couldn't understand you. Um, and then there's the conversation in the boat and the like understanding and in the conversation. So, so all of this has been to me about like, it's not even seeking to understand, I guess it's, it's, it's understanding, which we do have to seek to understand to understand often. 
but not always because i think the the fishermen didn't necessarily seek to understand each other it was the proximity that like made it happen over time um and i think that sometimes we seek to understand and we fail so like like it's not that i don't think seeking to understand is the right thing to do it's that i'm kind of separating those concepts that like seeking is important but but simply the understanding is is what's required um so i just found that really interesting no, I love that. And maybe, like, understanding is just the fact that we're still in the same galley. Like, we haven't walked away from the table yet. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I hope. <laughs> I think yeah. that's it, Michael. Do you have anything else? No. Do I not have I my it. plug? Do I not get a plug for my <laughs> uh, new HBO special? <laughs> yeah, there's an HBO special about me. Uh, my, you know, my name lines with uh, Larry Schmavid, and, uh, you know, it's coming out. I don't know. I got nothing to say. Tell me, tell me, tell me what's a life I've been feeling starstruck Seeing human love thrive in this really long dust Guess it's really our love Seven billion of us And I read the headlines Tell me, tell me, tell me what's a life It's part luck, surveillance Constructor conscience Hot sauce, blood diamonds Everybody pitching in folks red with silence We already ate up that cornbread of kindness Something in between We got stories in our stories Knowing stories what it seems As we stumble, as we fall We watch each other and we scream If our weaknesses are glory It's more glory to be seen This has been the Peacemakers Podcast Produced and hosted by me, Obasi Shah And my co-host, Michael O'Brien The intro and outro song, What's a Life Is by me and produced by Eerie Skies The interludes are produced by Gabe Gladstein Of the pop duo, Running On Everything if you liked this episode and want to reflect more, come visit our website at principlesofpeacemaking.org, where you can find more of our content and information on how to support us. Our guest today was Adam Ede. Thanks, Adam. And thank you for listening. Now go and make peace.